Hi, I'm Dr. Avanti Kumar Singh. In over 20 years of practicing both Western medicine and Eastern healing traditions, the most important thing that I've learned is that healing is a journey we take together. So on this podcast, I'll be demystifying Ayurveda and other integrated medicine, showing how these simple ancient practices are the keys to unlocking a healthy modern life. We are all healing catalysts because healing starts within. It starts with you and it starts right now. This is a Soulfire production. Episode number 97. If you've ever been confused by all of the food noise that's out there in the wellness world, keep listening because you don't want to miss this episode or the next two episodes in this Go Deeper series over the next few weeks in September. Hello, my beautiful friends. Welcome back to the Healing Catalyst podcast. I'm Avanti, and I'm so happy to be here with all of you. And to all of you who are new here, welcome. I'm so honored to be a part of your day today. So today we continue our exploration of the September intention of food and our health with a discussion that I think will really help you start to sort through all of this conflicting food noise that's out there. You know, it seems that every single day we're bombarded by new data, new studies and new opinions about food, about which foods are good for us and which ones are bad for us which foods we should include in our diet and which ones we should avoid or eliminate, right? I mean, are whole grains good for you? Is rice bad for you? Are nightshades to be avoided? Should we eat raw vegetables or should we not eat them? Is tofu a good protein source or a bad one? Is red wine good for you or is really any kind of alcohol just plain old bad for you? And the list goes on and on and on, right? I mean, no wonder so many of us are so incredibly confused about how to eat to support our health. And if this is you, don't worry, I've got you. Today, I'm joined by my mentor, teacher, and friend, Chef Divya Alter. To help you sort through all of this as we go through every food group, discussing what that food group is and both the Ayurvedic and Western perspectives of the food group. And then Vivia also shares some amazing tips on cooking with this food group, which you don't want to miss. Now, here's the funny thing. Initially, this was going to be a one hour conversation with Divya. Oh my gosh, was I wrong? I mean, silly me for thinking that that was possible. In the first hour, we barely scratched the surface. And so Divya generously agreed to record for three more hours so that we could get to all of the food groups. So this is part one of a three-part Go Deeper series that dives into the Ayurvedic perspective of food groups that we'll be bringing to you over the next few weeks. And as I mentioned, Chef Divya Alter is back with me again. She's been on the podcast several times now, as many of you know, and those episodes are linked in the show notes for you. A little bit about Divya. Divya is the pioneering chef and author who's bringing Ayurvedic cooking to the modern world. She has nearly 30 years of experience studying, practicing, and teaching Indian spiritual philosophy, yoga, Sanskrit chanting, and vegetarian cooking throughout Europe, India, and the United States. Originally from Bulgaria, she has studied and taught Sanskrit in Sweden and India, and has assisted in the translation of many ancient texts. But that's not all. In addition, Divya is the author of two beautiful groundbreaking cookbooks that are honestly my favorites and I love to gift to everyone because they're so amazing. 
What to Eat for How You Feel, and her new book, Joy of Balance. She's also the chef restaurateur of Divya's Kitchen in New York City, which is an award-winning Ayurvedic restaurant. And she's also the creator of a line of Ayurvedic pantry goods, which are incredible. Honestly, just incredible. Divya has also introduced the wisdom of Ayurveda to hundreds of thousands of people around the world, but her greatest passion is teaching. Over the last 13 years, she's worked with more than 20,000 students, and she's also the founder of North America's first Ayurvedic nutrition and culinary training program, ANACT, which I'm also taking right now. And I can't tell you how amazing it is. Like, I know I'm just gushing because I love Vivia and I love everything that she teaches. She's just amazing. In our conversation today, we discuss the difference between everyday foods and medicinal foods and spices. Then we dive into the food groups of grains, lentils, and beans with more specifics on what each of these is and a discussion about the differing perspectives of Western and Ayurvedic nutrition. And then also a bonus, Divya also shares her cooking tips and tricks for each food group. So you don't want to miss this. And just so you know what's coming in the next parts, like part two and part three, in part two, we discuss vegetables, fruits, and nuts. And in part three, we discuss dairy, herbs, spices and oils, and also round out everything with the discussion of meat. You guys, this series is so incredible. And I'm so grateful to Divya for generously sharing her knowledge, her wisdom, and so much of her time with us. I am so, so honored to share this beautiful conversation with my mentor, my teacher, and my friend, Chef Divya Alter, in part one of this three-part Go Deeper series on an Ayurvedic perspective of the food groups as we explore food and our health. Hello, Divya, my friend, my mentor, my teacher. I'm so, so happy to have you back on the podcast and to see you after a few months. We haven't talked and well, we've been talking through text message and email, but not seeing each other on the screen. So it's just so nice to see you. Same here, Avanti. I'm so happy to be with you. I'm so proud of you, of all the incredible growth and, and strength that you, and determination that you've had for the past few months of, in your healing journey. I think you're setting an example for all of us. And the strength you've been uh, demonstrating to us is like really, to me, it's beyond, you have a gift, you have a divine gift that you're under divine protection, divine guidance, and yeah, an amazing, very deep healing journey that I think very few people can go through. in full awareness and and you've been doing that so i really look up to you thank you oh thank you thank you i I mean i'm gonna start crying we haven't even started the episode (laughs) thank you thank you that means a lot to me you know i'm so excited to have you on the podcast because you know i have been catching up on my ayurvedic studies in your program and your nutrition course because i was a little bit delayed because of everything that's going on. And I have really been thinking a lot about the different food groups and the Ayurvedic perspective on that. And I thought, of course, I have to ask you to come onto the podcast to really dig deeper and dive deeper in this topic, mostly because I think there is so much noise and so much confusion 
about what foods to eat, what foods not to eat. And I thought maybe if we could bring another perspective, the Ayurvedic perspective, I think it would really be helpful to a lot of people. The reason I really wanted to dig into this is because the Ayurvedic perspective is not about the biochemical properties that we have in Western nutrition, you know, fats, carbohydrates, protein. You know, we think about that, obviously. We talk about that in a modern Ayurvedic approach. But the way that Ayurveda was set up and sort of, you know, talked about was this idea of daily foods and medicinal foods, Mm -hmm. because Ayurveda is a healing science, right? And so we look at food as medicine. And so I think that's a really good place for us to start. So can you explain what is the difference between foods that are used for daily consumption versus medicinal foods that are used for, you know, occasional use as medicine? Yes. Yeah, it's so interesting. You know, Ayurveda gives gives different 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 ways of classifying foods. So Foods for daily use versus medicinal foods is one of them. And then there is the classification of foods with predominant taste. So the six tastes, and then they, they classify foods that way. And then food groups instead in, in terms of grains, vegetables, lentils and beans, which we'll get into as well. So yeah, different approach. And I think it's very helpful to to have different points of view on the same <laughs> the same group because then it helps us um, understand how how to select the foods that we need in in different scenarios in our lives. So one general Sanskrit word for food that's used a lot is ahara, and ahara, as many as all Sanskrit words, <laughs> can have different meanings depending on the context. So. It's usually translated as food, but it's more about what we take in. So what are we taking in through our mouth, through our eyes, through our different, all the other senses? Uh, because all of this can be either nourishment or poison. It can be nourishment, it can be medicine, it can be poison. <laughs> so, right. So, and why I love that broad-minded perspective because it's not just the food that we eat that affects us, what we hear, what we see, what we smell, all of these things that we bring into our into our energy field, so to say, our body yes. and mind yes. will have an effect on our health, both physical and mental, and even spiritual health. So so the the two main categories in terms of foods for daily use, and then foods for medicinal use. And herbs are also, some herbs are also described that way. Like you could have culinary herbs that you could use every day, and then you have the medicinal herbs that you use only when you need them for as long as you need them. So this is the main difference. There are certain foods that have, their properties are meant to deeply nourish us. They have a building they have the function of building our tissues. So they nourish the blood, they nourish the muscle, they nourish the fat. Um, they don't have a lot of side effects. They don't have strong, very strong actions in the body in terms of cleansing, breaking down tissues like that. So these are the foods for daily use are the foods that are very nourishing and they are very pleasing also. And then the medicinal, so for example, foods for daily use are 
many different types of grains like rice and wheat are considered for daily. They can be used daily, almost year-round, depending on the variety of rice and wheat. Or many different vegetables that are in season, uh, like right now, summertime, zucchini is in season, okra is in season, green beans. So these are very nourishing foods and all the different types of fruits, most of them are very nourishing. Foods for medicinal use usually have very strong action. And it's so, and because the action in the body is so strong, you use them in small quantity occasionally when you need them. For example, bitter melon is in season right now. Um, I think it's becoming more popular in the United States. I was at a farm upstate recently and they were growing bitter melons and they grow like wow. cucumbers. <laughs> you know, you just, yes, they, they grow like a vine. And uh, so bitter melon is, yes, it's seasonal, it's a vegetable, but it's extremely bitter. And its bitter properties have very strong cleansing effect on the liver. It thins the bile. It's like a collagog. It's, it also lowers blood sugar quite a bit. If you eat, it can also lower blood pressure. So if you eat a lot of bitter melon, <laughs> I mean, first of all, how much bitter melon can you take <laughs> in the city? Right. It's really it's bitter. It's really bitter, yeah. yeah. So, so bitter melon is something that you want to use. Even like, I would have bitter melon as a preventative maybe once a week, a couple of times a week, especially if, it's, if I need to balance my pitta and kapha more. Or if I'm doing a little detox, like nutritional detox, I'll eat more bitter melon. But that's not my main meal. That's not, it's a side dish. Um, and I eat it like one bitter melon at a time, depending on how big the bitter melon is, of course. So that's an example for medicinal food. But if you have low blood pressure or too low blood sugar, don't, don't eat bitter melon. It will go against you. Right. So I just want to interrupt for one second because I want to just clarify something. So I think what you're really honing in on here that's important, I want to kind of click into this, is that, you know, in Ayurveda, there's no good or bad. There's no judgment on food, right? Yes. <laughs> or judgment on anything. No. It's completely dependent on you, on your disposition, on your constitution, and then also what's going on with you at that time what season it is. I mean, there's so many factors, right? Which can make it confusing. That's not the point. The point is, is that there's no good or bad. And in Western culture, we're so quick to make something really good or something bad. And then there's this imbalance and people will say, you know, there's a new superfood. Everyone just like wants to eat it all the time. And that is not good for you either, which is, I think the point you're making, that something can have these medicinal, nutritional attributes but eaten in excess, it's, it's too much for you, right? And so I just want to click into that idea is that there are foods that you should be eating on a daily basis to build you and nourish you. And again, building doesn't mean that it's going to make you heavier. That's not what it is, because that's another thing that people get confused with. Building means that it's going to nourish, deeply nourish all seven tissue layers, which is very important in Ayurveda. So sorry to interrupt you, but I just wanted to make sure we, we clarified that idea. Oh, no, thank you for clarifying because, it, yes, it's a very important point. And see, the confusion comes from the fact that the way, the way foods and herbs are presented in the West is, okay, 
here is the biochemical composition. That's okay. And then they give you a list of what it's good for. And mm-hmm. and then you're reading and it's like, oh yeah, I need this, I need this, I have this, I need this, you right. know. Right. But then they rarely say the contraindications, so when not to use the particular food or herb, which is also very important because you may have, you may think, oh yeah, I I my liver needs help. So it's like, okay, let me eat bitter melon, but it doesn't tell you that it lowers your blood sugar and you already have low blood sugar and then you're in trouble. So so I think it's very important in general, and that's what I try to do in, in my books and whenever I teach cooking and ingredients and all that, is yes, what are the, it's not just what are the properties from a biochemical standpoint, but also what are the actions? Because bitter melon is bitter, bitter taste in general, the action of foods of bitter taste is that they create mental alertness. So you eat bitter melon, all of a sudden it's like your mind is clean, it's like, oh, mental fog is gone. Great. But they also, so they also create more constriction. They produce dryness in the bodies. Ayurveda describes the food not just beyond the biochemical. It's like, this is what it get, makes in the body. It produces dryness or retains moisture. <laughs> so then it helps you to understand, oh yeah, I, this sounds great, but it's not the food for me right now. And yeah, so another popular medicinal food or two medicinal foods or group of medicinal foods are the alliums. So onions, garlic, leeks, shallots, you know, these, the different members of the allium family. And this is usually when, when I speak about eat onions and garlics, only, only is medicine, don't eat them every day. This is what my teacher, Vaidya was very strong about, especially after studying the condition of the livers in, in most people in the Western world and, and the condition of our microbiome and all that. So he recommended just in general, because onions and garlic have amazing medicinal properties. They're really amazing. But because of that, they have very strong effect on the body. Um, and they're extremely heating. They produce a lot of heat in the body, especially if you eat them raw. So let's say like Avanti right now, you're recovering after chemotherapy and chemo has a lot of chemicals, which are extremely hot and very piercing hot and produce this extreme heat in the body. Eating onions and garlic right now, it will just, your body is already on fire. And then you eat these very hot foods. It's not going to be balancing for you at all. So, but, but let's say you're in relatively balanced health and you get the flu. Yes, little onion and garlic will actually help you get through it faster. So, yeah, so there is a, I know many, many of our listeners will be hearing this and they're like, no, this is nonsense. <laughs> I eat garlic every day and I'm so healthy and my grandfather ate garlic every day and had no problem, was healthy until he was 100 years old. Yeah, that's true. Uh, and for some people, it really works. It depends on the body type and where they live and how it affects. So in general, just to be safe, my teacher said, use them only as medicine. Don't overuse them. And that's the general principle. Don't overuse anything. Even if it's good for you, don't overuse it. Yeah. And I think you brought up a really good point just now when you said that, you know, if you have, you know, garlic has been eaten in your cuisine, in your family, and everyone has done well. So, you know, 
we're going to be talking about with these food groups is an Ayurvedic perspective, right? This is not, again, to say that any other culture is right or wrong. You know, this is just to, you know, inform you of a different perspective of how to look at food and food groups. And again, you know, depending on your genetic makeup, on your constitution that you were born with, like what Divya said, where you live, those are all factors that maybe, you know, come in to play in determining how foods affect you. Yes. And with the onions and garlic, there's, I mean, you look at so many Ayurvedic cookbooks, they use lots of onions and garlic. You go to Ayurvedic retreats in India, many of them will use onions and garlic. So this is where the confusion comes. And I think, I think the confusion comes in the principle of application, comes in terms of application rather than the original principle that's mentioned in the original text of Ayurveda. Some people say, oh, we use onions and garlic because our, our clients at the Ayurvedic retreat, they're Westerners and they're used to it. We don't recommend it, but we use it because, they're, because it make the, makes the food tastier for them. And I'm like, well, I mean, you can still make it very tasty. I mean, people come to our restaurant, Divi's Kitchen, and there is no onions and garlic. And they're like, oh, wow, this is so flavorful. Right. And that's because of the spices yeah. that you use, yeah. which is right, you know, asafoetida and which is hing or fenugreek. Like, I mean, I know those were things that were used because they have a strong flavor that was almost in, in my family as like a, a replacement because I grew up in a Jain household, which is a small sect of Hinduism, and we don't eat onions and garlic. So hing was a major spice that was used to add that complexity. Yeah. And that sulfury flavor. Yeah, you can do that for sure. I use king as well. So, so, the, so that's the idea. Again, for our listeners, we, we're speaking about the principle. So there are certain foods that have very strong medicinal action. And that's why we recommend, Ayurveda recommends to use them occasionally in a particular dose for, for a particular time also. Uh, so that's the general principle. Right. And then spices are sort of this in-between, right? They're a bridge between daily foods and, you know, medicine, yeah. depending on what's going on yes, for you. Yes, exactly. So spices are extremely medicinal, but if we use them in small amounts, they, they, we can use them in our food and we can use them daily. Because even when we cook, I mean, for two cups of vegetables, you're not going to use one cup of cumin seeds, right? It, right. It's like <laughs> you're just using maybe a teaspoon at most. So right. because they're so strong, we use them in small amounts. And yeah, they're like medicinal, they're medicinal foods in small doses for daily use. Right, exactly. So that's a beautiful exa- you know, explanation of this idea of daily versus medicinal foods. So let's dive into grains. So Divya, what, what are grains from an Ayurvedic perspective? What are the foods that are included in this group? Yeah, I mean, so grains are some of the oldest, one of the oldest food groups people ate for thousands and thousands of years. And keep in mind that the, the classical texts of Ayurveda, like Charaka Sanhita, or I like Ashtanga Hridayam because it's kind of like a, it's an overview, overview compilation of the more detailed text, like Charkasanhita is very big. And then Ashtanga Hridayam is just like a succinct compilation overview of that. So they, 
they described, and later in later years, Bhava Prakash is another great book that give, speaks a lot, outlines a lot of foods and herbs. So they uh, keep in mind that the foods that were listed in those very old books were the, the ingredients that were actually growing locally. So the, the rishis, those who wrote these texts, they were observing and using them and trying them. And so there are many foods that were not described. <laughs> we're we're growing there. Like, like right. quinoa is a grain or a seed right. that wasn't growing at that time there. So they didn't describe it, but it doesn't mean that it's not a good grain. Technically a seed. So one of the, uh, in general, grains are described as very necessary food for, for building, for nourishing our tissues. And we need to eat a grain every day, according to that, at least one grain. This is different from the <laughs> keto diet and other diets. But again, we're looking in terms of not how to lose weight or whatever, but how to nourish every tissue in the body completely. So one ancient grain that I love is barley. And barley is, uh, it's very interesting, the different types of barley, and also depending on how it's, whether it's cold or not cold, you know, you will get different types of barley in the grocery store nowadays. But in general, barley is considered a very, it's a heavy grain in terms of digestion. It's heavier to digest. But it's also, it's extremely nutritious and really helps you to build muscle tissue and in general to build strength. It's a strength building grain. And even though it has a little bit of gluten in it, it many people who cannot, who react to the gluten in wheat, they may not necessarily react to the gluten of barley. Especially, I always recommend organic barley because if it's not organic, it's it's usually Roundup ready. It has all the chemicals inside, so it, it's not very healthy. So, uh, and it has, so barley has the way Ayurveda would describe an ingredient, like, so what's the, the taste? What's the predominant taste of barley? So barley is described as slightly astringent, which means that it will produce slight dryness in the body. And astringent foods also pull moisture out of the body. So barley is very much known for its diuretic properties. And it just, it really like, it brings excessive moisture out, like water retention. Barley is great. Or any kind of swelling, barley helps with that. And it has a cooling. So then it will describe what are some of the qualities or the guna. Guna is a Sanskrit word for qualities. It's described as dry, so it's rough. It's very fibrous, so it has this roughage, and it's heavy to digest. So, so then you know, oh wow, my digestion is very weak. Barley is heavy, so barley may not be ready. I'm, I'm barley. Just the grain itself, eating the grain itself, may not be the right grain for me today because my digestion is weak. So then it would describe the metabolic effect or the virias after it goes through the Initial stage of digestion, does barley heat up your body or does it cool or it cool you, cools you down? So barley has a cooling effect, uh, which makes it really good for balancing pitta or reducing heat in the body. And then the post-digestive effect, the vipaka. So, and this is something that 
it's impossible to measure with modern instruments <laughs> the the concept of post digestion and how the food affects the energy of the food affects us post digestion we cannot measure this so we just trust the ayurvedic sages <laughs> for this information and then barley is kind of pungent and sweet depending on the variety and then it will give you the dosha effect so what does it increase vata does it lower pitta so in in general barley lowers kapha and pitta but it can increase vata um so these are so so this is just the general description and then um, by the way, in my cookbook, my new cookbook, Joy of Balance, it's all organized according to ingredients. Yes, it's, yeah, I was going to mention that, you know, all of, of what we're talking about is really detailed in the book. This is a general overview to get you thinking like this, but the book is an amazing resource. So we will make sure that's linked in the show notes for all yeah, of you. Yeah, thank you. But I profile ingredients and the book is organized according to ingredients and, and food it groups. Is. But then I take it a step further. So I tell you about sourcing, seasonality, cooking tips with barley. So for example, if you have a really weak digestion, but you want you have water retention, you just went through surgery, for example, and you need nourishment, but you cannot eat solid food yet, Ayurveda recommends to drink barley water. So, And I give the recipe how to make it. You just boil barley in water in one to six proportion. And one part barley, six parts water. And then you drain it. You can give the barley grain to someone else, but you drink the water. And, and this has a very, very nourishing effect. It's also cooling. So it helps to, because it will make you pee, it's very diuretic. It will get all these hot acidic toxins out faster through the urinary right. tract. I'm actually drinking barley oh, water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So how because does it work reason, for you? Yeah. How do you experience it in your body? I mean, I've been feeling that, you know, since I've been more mobile after my surgery, you know, that is also helping to move things along, but I'm having a little bit of barley water and I feel like I'm releasing more swelling, more fluid. Is it, you know, I don't know. I've only been doing it for about a week, week and a half, but so far so good. So we'll see But you know, I do think, I think the point that you're making here is that you know, a food is not just a food. There's so many effects that we think about in Ayurveda. Now, again, that can become overwhelming. But I think that the idea here is that, you know, from an Ayurvedic perspective, it's not as easy as saying a grain is good or bad or that it has gluten or has, you know, these different proteins that are causing reactions, which they, you know, those are important things to think about. But there are so many other ways that we look at the grain or the food and you'll hear that throughout this episode and the next part also. But if I could ask you, you know, about the grains that are good for daily foods, things like rice and wheat, because those are really controversial in functional medicine and integrated medicine. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, just to finish on barley. So barley could be a medicinal food for you, especially if you're more of a vata constitution, more the airy type. But so you would only use it as a medicinal grain, but if you have more of a vata, kapha or pitta constitution in the kapha and pitta season, it can, you can eat it more frequently. So that's the idea. Um, okay, so then rice and wheat. Yeah, I mean, rice is considered one of the most nourishing foods in the grain groups, um, but there are so many different varieties of rice. <laughs> I, mean, I think it's over 200 nowadays. 
And then some of them are genetically modified. So we get those out. <laughs> Don't use those. By the way, some of the basmati rice is also genetically modified. So if you're buying basmati rice, I only buy it organic. And I personally buy the Pakistani variety. But the, yeah, rice can be genetically modified too. So be careful there when you buy those. Um, so it depends also how it's produced, how it's processed, and where it grows. It, it also, how much of a hybrid it is, you know. So it's always good to go back to heirloom varieties as much as possible. But, you know, when you go to a grocery store, <laughs> it's... That's I usually buy my grains online because I can get the ones that I actually trust and, and want. But um, So there are different varieties of rice. There is uh, described in the classical texts. And the best variety is raktashali. So it's a type of red rice, which is when you cook it, it becomes kind of pinkish. And it's, I love red rice. It's so delicious. And there are different varieties of red rice too. Uh, it's a little heavier to digest. It kind of cooks like brown rice. So it you have to, I soak it usually for at least 30 minutes to an hour. And then I, I cook it in a lot of water, like pasta with some salt. And then I drain it and I can season it afterwards or add some ghee or something. So it's um, it doesn't really get mushy like white basmati rice. But it's... It's very nutritious. It's more nutritious than brown rice. And it's absolutely delicious. It's just so, the flavor of it is just so tasty. And, but you need a little stronger digestion for that. So if you're just recovering from surgery or illness and your digestion is really messed up, especially right after surgery, it's recommended to have rice water. So just like the barley water, you cook the rice, especially with the red rice, and especially there is a variety called shashtika or navara rice, and that's a variety of rice that it's ready to harvest within 60 days, shashti, shashtika, 60 days since it starts growing. It's a very quick growing rice. It's a little harder to find it nowadays, but it's considered the most medicinal rice in Ayurveda. So drinking the rice water will give very gentle nourishment. And then the it has a cooling effect. So rice in general has a cooling effect, most of the varieties. And uh, and also, so once, let's say you're recovering from surgery, if you start eating after surgery. First is the rice water, and then you can make like a kanji, like a rice porridge, and you make it thicker and thicker every day depending on how your agni, your digestive fire is growing. And then at some point when you feel really hungry, then you can just cook rice itself. So, yeah. That's the rice perspective. Yes. So yeah, rice is something that is considered a daily food yes. in Ayurveda. Yeah, it can be daily. Mm -hmm. But again, it depends on your constitution, your variety. Like if you have kapha constitution predominantly in the kapha season, which is spring, then rice is not the most balancing grain for you. Red rice would be the best for you uh, because red rice is an exception and it doesn't aggravate kapha so much, but all the other varieties will increase your kapha. So, right. And what about, and quinoa I know is another favorite of yours 
for us. I mean, I know it's a seed technically, but we we put it in the grains. That's one of your favorites to use as a daily a grain to you use. You know, believe it or not, I really use quinoa. It, it's yeah. not, I like it. I would mo- probably use it twice a month. I follow the Akadashi fast okay. twice mm-hmm. a month with the lunar calendar. So I would cook it then. But in general, I, I don't know. I think it's, I used to eat it a lot. And now it's, somehow my body is like, oh, not so much quinoa. <laughs> It's interesting because quinoa has a very long transition in the gut. It just, it takes a while to, to, to get out the waste from quinoa, which I find interesting. But yeah, so quinoa is a great seed, a great grain also, which hasn't been mentioned in the Ayurvedic text. I think, I think modern Ayurveda teachers should just add addendums, you know, just, they should just add all the modern foods, the artichokes, the Sunchokes, exactly. <laughs> all these foods that are found everywhere, and just describe them. Just continue to add to the books of Ayurveda, and adding the properties. So, yeah, quinoa is great, especially for kapha balancing. Quinoa is great. It's great for pitta also. Not so much for vata. Again, it depends the main taste, the properties, the qualities, and the action it has in the body. Uh, but it, yeah, very nourishing quinoa. And then the perspective on wheat and whole, I mean, I know you talk about how whole grains versus processed Yes. when it comes to wheat. Yeah, wheat is such a delicate topic nowadays because so many people are gluten intolerant or sensitive to gluten. And I think one of the main reasons is because the non-organic wheat, first of all, wheat has been hybridized through thousands of years, you know. Uh, so the modern hybrids might be very heavy to digest for a lot of people. And then if the wheat is not organic, it's uh, loaded with chemicals and these chemicals affect the health of our gut. Uh, so I always recommend, like, first of all, if you're eating wheat, choose the whole grains, don't, the white flour, you know, all these refined flours. Even if it's enriched, it's enriched with chemicals. So. The- <laughs> Don't don't use the white variety, white flour refined, because usually wheat we eat in the form of flour. Make bread, we make pastries and all that. So, yeah. So choose the ancient grains. My favorite is einkorn. Einkorn is one of the original wheat varieties, and you can you can buy einkorn flour. I use the whole grain and I make my own flour at home. But it's very light. It has a different molecular composition so it's it's very light yeah when i eat it i almost forget that i'm eating wheat because it's so light and einkorn hasn't been hybridized so spell or emmer for example there are hybrids of einkorn that were created i don't know two thousand years ago or so maybe more so but still einkorn emmer kamut these are ancient varieties of wheat that you might find easier to to digest. And the problem with all this gluten intolerance is using eating the wrong wheat that kind of destroyed the gut bacteria in our gut. So in the Ayurvedic perspective, when it's not just avoiding wheat and going gluten-free. Yeah, this will help you get lesser reaction, but the perspective is to fix your gut. Correct. And then you can digest anything. <laughs> Right. Exactly. Exactly. So we always come back to that is that it all starts in the gut. 
But in the meantime, you know, if you're trying to figure out what to eat, these are some good guidelines. How, what are some tips that you can give? Just a few tips on how to cook and eat grains. Mm. Yeah, well, it depends on the grain. Some, some yes, grains I like to soak, especially the grains that are heavier, more fibrous, like barley and, and red rice. I like to soak first in water before I cook them. The other thing is that it's always good to first wash your grains. So the steps of cooking grains, first you wash it and you rinse it really well until the water is more or less clear to get a lot of that starch out. And then you soak it. So I have to admit, sometimes I'm too lazy or too tired and then I soak it, then I wash it. But better practice is to wash it first, then you soak it. And you don't have to soak everything, but for easier, especially if your digestion is weaker, you can soak it. And then, and then after that, you cook it. There are different methods of cooking grains. You can just, you can steam it by measuring water to grain ratio. Like, for example, with basmati rice, I use two cups water to one cup of rice and one teaspoon of salt. Simple recipe. <laughs> so you bring the water to a boil in a small saucepan. You add the salt, add the washed drained rice. And you cover, lower the heat to the lowest, and you steam it for 12 to 15 minutes, and it's ready. Perfect. Um, or you can boil it in a lot of water, like pasta, and then drain away the water. You can save the water and use it for something else if you want. In Indian villages, they use it to starch the school uniforms of the kids. <laughs> mm -hmm. It's a natural starch. <laughs> but that's exactly. the thing. I like the boiling method, especially when your digestion is weaker. You can not digest a lot of the heavy starch. So when you boil it, a lot of the starch goes in the water. So the grain itself right. is like digest. Right. I know you also recommend eating just one grain, you know, a day. Don't mix them up. Don't have multiple different kinds if you can. Um, no, it's more like one grain a meal, especially. A per yeah, meal. Okay. If, That's especially if your, mm -hmm. your digestion is weaker. Mix the mm -hmm. If you have strong digestion, like Vadimishu taught me this recipe, basmati rice and quinoa. It's, yeah, it's, it's so, so good. good. But if you're in a on a recovery protocol, your digestion is kind of weak, then stick to one grain per meal. It, unless, I would say also maybe one vegetable, just one of each food group because you're giving less tasks to your stomach, so to say, <laughs> to digest, to break down. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, yeah, so you could have, if you have rice, in the morning or something with wheat, like a pastry or bread in the morning, then you could have rice for lunch and maybe another grain if you need for dinner like that. Right. And then you also say that it's really important to cook them and eat them that same day. Don't eat leftovers. But that's a general principle in Ayurveda. Don't eat leftovers. Yes. Well, there are exceptions. So with wheat, if it's a baked good or a flat bread, right. uh, that's okay. You can, you can have it the next day, the same day, like that. But with cooked rice, especially, and yeah, cooked rice, it's, it's just because it grows spores so quickly. So cooked rice, if you just leave it at room temperature, it can lead to food poisoning very quickly. Just And even if you don't start vomiting like a heavy-duty food poisoning, you may feel extremely bloated and gassy after you eat that leftover rice that you didn't keep hot. So it just becomes a hazard. Yeah, many people don't know this. The same with potatoes, the same with mushrooms, you know. So yep. many people don't know this. And 
I think a lot of people have digestive issues simply because they eat these foods as leftovers. Right. And this is completely yeah. modern science. Not even. Absolutely. It's like, right. It's just a, yeah. 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 Um, can we move to lentils and beans? Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So what are lentils and beans and what are some of the foods that are included? The Ayurvedic perspective. Let's talk about that. Yeah. So in Ayurveda, they're, they're called shimbi, shimbi danya. And there are two classes, two main groups of lentils and beans. One is legumes and the other one is pulses. And it's always confusing, like, <laughs> which is, is a legume, so which is a pulse, which is a lentil, which is a bean. <laughs> Right. So the legumes are the legumes include the pod, basically. So if you have a a bean with the green bean with the pod, and inside is the single bean which you can take out and dry, and it becomes a pulse. So the dry beans are pulses, the dried lentils are pulses, but the legume has the whole bean. So the edamame is a legume. You have if you have the whole the pod. Or if you have the pea in a pod, so the whole pod is the legume, and inside the pea itself is the pulse. So, <laughs> but the word pulse is not a very attractive word in English language. So I think many, many, many food writers and cookbook authors, recipe authors, they then don't say you know pulses. Kind of sound, sounds repulsing. <laughs> so <laughs> in India, I think in India they call pulses. They they. They do call yeah, it pulses. Yeah, they use it a lot, but not in the West so much. So mm -hmm. in my book, I go for lentils and beans, which are two subcategories categories of pulses. And so Ayurveda describes the mung bean as the best from what was growing back then. And mung bean is those little green mung beans. And the whole mung bean is also predominantly sweet, which tastes but also astringent, so sweet astringent. So it does nourish the body. And in general, lentils and beans can increase vata in the body, making more. That's why a lot of people get gassy <laughs> if, if they mm -hmm. eat lentils and beans that are not cooked properly. But mung is the least aggravating for vata. And, right. and it's, it's easy for most people yes, to digest. Especially that. the split yeah. mung bean. So exactly. when you split the, the bean in half and take out the green skin, it, you, it looks yellow. So it's called yellow split mung bean. And in India, many people call it lentil because it looks like a lentil, but technically is a bean, but it acts, you cook it as a lentil, you use it as a lentil, the way you would use a lentil. And the reason that lentils and beans are so important is that they're high protein, they're a source of fiber. Mm -hmm. So they're very nutritious, especially if you're a vegetarian something, you know, I grew up vegetarian, I'm still vegetarian. So this was a staple of, you know, our everyday food consumption yeah. because it was high protein, but people react differently. And, you know, so I think you made a really good point in your book. I was reading again, reviewing it is that to be able to really incorporate this into your diet, you have to become aware of how do you feel after you have yes. them? Because everyone reacts differently. So to make a blanket statement that, you know, everyone should eat this bean or lentil, or these are all, you know, good for daily consumption, even though they might be good for daily consumption, we all react. Exactly. Yeah. So again, if you're, if your gut is depleted of friendly bacteria, then you may be reacting to lectins. You may be lectin intolerant. 
Most plant-based foods are high in lectins, but especially lentils and beans. So vitamin Shu taught me, first of all, when you soak the lentils and beans, the lectins become easier to digest. And then the other method of cooking them is, yeah, you soak them, drain them really well so they're not, there's not dripping water. And then you can saute them in a little bit of ghee or olive oil before you add the water. And this makes it easier to digest too. And then, and then you don't eat them as a leftover. That's another. <laughs> right, exactly. Because it will cause a lot of bloating and gas if you eat them as a leftover. Yeah. Adding a little bit of fat actually helps to come like balance that drying effect and also makes the spices more bioavailable. Right. So those are things that you want to add to lentils. So Avanti, so here's another very important principle. When you, we look at like right now, I mostly described ingredients in terms of the general properties and, but the qualities changed when you cook. So that's why cooking is a perfect way to balance the ingredients. So you, you mentioned the mung bean, it, because it's so rich in fiber, it can have a scraping effect. So then, and it, this can produce dryness. It can create drying effect in the body. To balance the dryness, we add good fat like ghee or olive oil. And then it has, it can be heavy. It can produce increased vata. So we add vata balancing spices like cumin or coriander, or curry leaves, the ginger, they go really well with, with making a dal, like a mung dal soup, for example. So that's the art of Ayurvedic cooking is to know what spices to add, how to, how to balance the main ingredients in the dish so that mm -hmm. you can fully digest them and absorb their nutrients. Right. And so it can be good for most people mm -hmm. for daily consumption. Yeah. So that, that really is the art. And that is something I will tell you, I have learned so much because so much of what I learned for, for Indian cooking anyway, using these Indian ingredients was just passed down from my grandmothers to my mother and I would just watch and there were certain ways that they cooked it. But what I have learned so much through your course is the why yes. behind everything. <laughs> just makes so much sense because everything that they would just do and throw into the pot and, you know, just they knew what to do. I just would follow as a, as a pattern, you know, memorize that this is the spices, this is when you put the ghee, this is, you know, but understanding why and why it balances is something that is that I've learned with you and it's just passed down through you know oral tradition in a way in our families so it has been a really really enlightening uh, education that I've had doing your your cooking course which I will tell all the listeners I know I've talked about it before but if you are at all you know drawn to this perspective of ayurvedic food nutrition cooking absolutely take Divya's course the next time it's offered. But in the meantime, there's, you know, she has a set of master classes. I'll link those in the show notes for you, all of you. That's a really good place to start as well. Yeah. Well, thank you, Vanti. And you know, it becomes, first, it takes a little effort to figure out the main principles of combinations and what to balance with what. You have to learn a little bit, but it's fun learning. But once you learn, it becomes second nature. Like when I start cooking now, it's like, I'm not even, you know, it just comes, don't even think about it, you know. It, do think about it because very often when I cook, it's a new recipe I'm developing or whatever. But it becomes second nature to choose the foods and its balancing components 
so that you can produce truly healthy, truly nourishing meal for where you're at in that particular mm-hmm. day. Yeah, it's it's absolutely fascinating. Fascinating. Now, I know we've taken so much time only talking about the first two food groups. So I actually think I have to edit and sort of go back to my original statement that we would do it as two episodes. We might have to break it into three episodes because it's just so fascinating to hear about you know, the different ingredients that you can use. I think it's really, really illuminating. So yes. I think what we'll do is we'll stop this, this conversation here and then we're going to pick up with the next conversation and we'll go through vegetables and fruits and maybe nuts and seeds and then we can move on to the next one. Sure, I'm all yours for that. But if you <laughs> look, I, I just wanted to give a few more ideas of how to use lentils and beans. Before. Yes, please, please. Like recently I, w- I was doing a nutritional consultation for a client and he was like, so what are the main components of a plant-based meal? And I said, well, you need a grain, you need source of protein and you need a vegetable. These are the three minimal groups of foods that you need to include. And he said, well, you're asking me to eat a tali every day, like an Indian plate, <laughs> rice, rice, dal, and vegetables. And I said, well, this is one way, right? But you can use these ingredients in so many different dishes. So I, you can mix the rice and the, the lentils or the bean, the mung beans, and make a kitchri in like a one-pot meal. You can add vegetables to it. Or uh, you can make like dosa or all, all these Indian pancakes, you know, they're made with soaked and fermented rice and, and beans. Or I love using beans or lentils to make patties. Like in, in Joy of Balance, I have my, I love this azuki bean and red lentil patties. And they have vegetables in them. They're like mini burgers, kind of burger patties. But, um, and they're absolutely delicious and very nutritious. You can make dips with them. I use rice flour to make uh, like a pudding kind of baby food kind of dessert. (laughs) It's really, my vata loves pudding. So, or I could use rice flour in in a pastry or a lentil flour in a pastry. And also bean, especially the chana dal. Chana dal is like the baby chickpeas that's split without the skin. So the flour or the mung flour, mung bean flour also, these are used for skincare also. They use it as soap. They, they clean, clean the skin perfectly. You can use them to make a mask. In Joy of Balance, I have recipes for facial cleansers and masks using, using grain and bean flour. So there's so many ways to incorporate lentils and beans in different kinds of dishes and make them also when you eat them together they can they become complete proteins so they synthesize to to digest better yeah there's such an incredible variety just with these two groups of foods right just with the the grains and the lentils and beans right those two food groups but i think it's just again it's so important to have a wide perspective and again this is not to confuse anybody and create more noise i think you know, you guys are listening to this podcast, which is all about Ayurveda and integrated medicine. So I thought it was time to really dig deeper into the Ayurvedic perspective of specific food groups, because I've always gone over them very, very generally from, Mm. you know, bigger sort of macro lens. And I think we're going a little micro, which hopefully will help all of you. Yes. 
And I still feel we're scratching the surface. Totally we're scratching this. There is so much. Oh my gosh. <laughs> of course. Well, I mean, in your course, we do, you know, three, four hours on each food group and then study it. And so, you know, there's so much more. But again, this is just scratching the surface to really, you know, whet your appetite. Ha <laughs> ha, pun. <laughs> For really looking at, at food in a different way. So we are going to stop here with the grains and lentils and beans. And so then in part two, We'll move on to vegetables, fruits, nuts, and seeds, and then we'll finish up in part three with dairy, herbs, spices, and oils and meat. So we have a lot more to go through, but Divya, as always, thank you so much, and I'll see you in the next conversation. Yeah, thank you so much. And if any of our listeners have any questions, please send them to Avanti, yes. especially for the upcoming groups, and we'll be happy to address those as well. It's always a pleasure yeah. speaking with you, Avanti. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thank you. I love talking to you. I learn so much every time. But we'll be back with part two and part three. Thanks, everybody. Thanks again for listening to The Healing Catalyst. If you love what you heard, please hit follow and pass it along to a friend. And if you're feeling really inspired, please rate and review so that others can find this podcast more easily. To learn more, head to avantikumarsingh.com. And to connect with me directly, find me on Instagram at Avanti Kumar Singh. I'll be back next week and hope that you will be too. Until then, remember, with the right catalyst, you have the power to activate your own healing because healing starts within.